Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today my guest is my season five sister, good friend, and just an amazing, amazing human being all around, Honey Mahogany. Honey is currently running for office in San Francisco, and we're going to talk all about her career in politics, how she picked herself up and tried again after Drag Race, and we're going to learn a little bit about her gardening habits all today on Hi Jinx. So hunker down, buckle up, and sink your teeth into some brand new Hi Jinx. Oh. M. Mom! Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by fellow season five sister, activist, singer, and currently running for San Francisco's District 6 supervisor, Honey Mahogany. Hi, honey. Hi, Jinx. <laughs> How are you today? I'm great. It's really good to see you. It's so good to see you, too. You're looking radiant. I got to see you recently um, while we were doing Death, uh, Drag Becomes Her, the Death Becomes Her parody in San Francisco. And then again, when I was working at Oasis, and you looked just stunning, and the vision of political professionalism. <laughs> <laughs> well, you looked stunning. I mean, you know, I always enjoy getting to see you do your thing on stage. Um, you know, Death Becomes Her was incredible. Um, and of course, at Oasis, just getting to hear you sing more was just beautiful. So thank you for um, gracing us with all of your talent and beauty. Oh, hush. Here in San Francisco, uh, <laughs> we get so much of you. We love it. Um, honey, you and I, you know, I always look back on season five and um, I oftentimes say that Honey and I had a real connection and we talked about some, I think, very important topics, you know, in front of the cameras and not a lot of it made it to air. And um, I'm just so excited for this stage in your life because I have known this honey, this this fierce goddess, activist, warrior honey, I've known her since season five. And it's so amazing to see what you're doing now and to see how hard you're working to serve your community. And it just gives me so much joy. You, honey, <laughs> you are just, you've got so many accomplishments under your belt already. You have a bachelor's degree in psychology and a musical, a, a, a minor in musical theater. Sorry, I am reading from notes because <laughs> I want to get it right. And you have a master's in social work. Um, and you're a world famous drag entertainer. <laughs> like just, just, just to ladle that on top. Um, let's talk about how. What's driven you in life to be such an overachiever? <laughs> oh my God. Well, I mean, speaking to the queen of the universe here. So um, I guess this question could go both. That's a different title. That's a different title. <laughs> Um, well, I, so I don't, you know, I think 
So for me, I mean, a lot of this, um, well, the being a social worker part, I think specifically was really about, um, I think it goes back to sort of my upbringing, you know, I think um, my parents, you know, were immigrants and they were refugees and they came here to this country and they um, built a life for themselves. But for them, you know, education was really important. And so they ended up sending me to like sacrificing to send me to Catholic school. Like my dad, you know, was a taxi driver when I was growing up and, you know, he ended up sending me to Catholic school. We didn't have a lot of money, but we did, you know, get that good Catholic school education. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and for high school, I, I went to this place called St. Ignatius in San Francisco, and it's a, a Jesuit school, and the Jesuits are relatively progressive. Um, but the thing that I really took home was um, their message of being a person for others and being of service to others and being the change you want to see in the world. And so I think that has really been a guiding light for me throughout my life. Um, it's what you know has connected me to service. I think because I had so many other conflicts with the Catholic Church, I mean, clearly... Uh, so what, what, what do you think <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> I don't agree with everything the Catholic Church has to say but I think because of that like it really like made me cling to those things that I did agree with and so um you know that's why I became a social worker and got my master's in social work and my first job was working as an outreach counselor to homeless and at-risk youth here in San Francisco which I think we t- actually talked about on Drag Race um and you know have been working with folks to get them off the streets and into housing into recovery working with formerly incarcerated folks, helping them rebuild their lives. Like these were things that were really important to me. And also like, I I think that there's something to be said about being from a, um, you know, coming from a background where, you know, again, my parents, um, you know, came here with nothing. And there was certain, there's a certain level of, I think of expectation because they sacrificed so much um, for me to succeed. And because I think also like there's that whole queer and trans thing. So like, you know, I think that subconsciously, like, I've always felt like I have to, like, you know, make them proud. And I have to, like, because I'm going, you know, like, you grow up and you're, like, especially, I think, I don't know, I know times are changing, but, you know, back in the day when you came out, like, it was kind of oftentimes very traumatic, and it still sometimes can be. And, you know, there's a sense of, I think, disappointing your family, right? Or, like, not being able to give them kids or whatever it is, like, you know, there's this certain fear of disappointing them. And so in some ways, I feel like maybe because because of that, I felt like I needed to really prove myself in all these other Overcompensate ways. Overcompensate in other areas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, oh, gosh, I don't know that it's a good pull quote, but like trauma... Trauma gets us, trauma sometimes gets the job done. (laughs) Listen, it's the thing that drives us all, you know, whether we know or acknowledge it or not. As a social Um, worker, I feel like I can say that. (laughs) Um, You were working as a social worker um, when we did season five, correct? Yes, I left my uh, full-time social work job. I was the mental health director for the Rainbow Community Center in Contra Costa County, which is in the Bay Area. So I left that job to pursue my dream to be America's Next Drag Superstar. <laughs> <laughs> and you and I, um, you and I had a big conversation, and it's kind of amazing to be at this point in time and then look back on that conversation. But you and I had a big conversation about. Um, uh, safe sex awareness and mm-hmm. HIV prevention. And what's it like? Uh, I mean, I know how I feel taking my daily prep, but um, <laughs> what's it like for you in your world to have had that conversation? I don't know that it made it to air, but we were attempting to have that conversation on uh, on uh, the biggest platform we had available to us. And now... 10 years later, there's there's so many new options. There's um, so many new forms of treatment. There's so much more education. Uh, there's so much more conversation happening uh, around that because, you know, it, it's almost like after the AIDS epidemic and once, uh, once things kind of plateaued and got, you know, to a place like where you and I were being raised post epidemic. Um, It was constantly a conversation for me as a youth, but like, I felt like the conversation died down for a while, you know, but it's still something that we as a community specifically have to deal with. Um, 
where, what's it like in your world with where we're at right now with HIV prevention and the conversation around sexual health and safety? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we live we live in a post prep world or like a, a world that is, you know, it's like post. It's really sort of. Um, bizarre to me because I think um, by the time PrEP was something that everyone was taking or most people in the gay, well, I should say MSM community were taking, um, I was already in a long-term relationship. So I wasn't really really on it. And so I've never actually been on PrEP for, you know, um, this entire time. So for me, it's 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 an interesting experience because I know that like many of my friends are on PrEP and like, you know, and people I think are not really using condoms anymore. And um, so that is a little bit of a culture shock, but also like, I'm glad that we're making an, an advancement Um, And I think, you know, what's really concerning is to see, you know, Republican legislators now try and ban PrEP from being covered by medical insurance or allowing, you know, providers not to provide PrEP to um, people through their insurance, through their employment. Um, And that is really scary because, you know, they are selling it as, well, we don't want to subsidize their you know, uh, their, their lifestyle, right. Or like meeting gay sex. But if you actually look at the rates of HIV transmission in this country right now, the people that are most likely to um, become new infect, like to newly become infected with HIV are actually um, heterosexual black women. And so Mm. there is like, again, like when we're talking about public health, it's never, it never just is impacted Um, it never only impacts one community. This is like, we are all connected and what may start in one community will grow and go out to other communities. And so I think we all have a collective interest in making sure that we stop the spread of HIV because as we all know, especially when it comes to healthcare and mental healthcare, um, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure and having someone zero convert while not a death sentence now, like it can be managed. Certainly that has much more of a burden on our healthcare system than actually preventing someone from getting HIV in the first place. Yeah. And it just, I mean, the word sickens me, it comes to mind. It sickens me that because HIV has been labeled a queer disease, that then that's what Republicans use to pass these laws causing, you know, the prevention of life-saving, but also, okay, what about the fact that it's a disease? What about the fact that it is, you know, a plague that has already decimated communities in our country before, that decimates people around the world, and you're going to, you're going to do something to impede the prevention of it? Like, forget about who it affects. It's a fucking disease. Don't we have a responsibility? I mean, that's why I got on prep in the first place is I was like, I feel like it's my own personal responsibility as someone who meets these certain criterias to do everything I can to prevent the to prevent transmission of this disease. And the fact that there are lawmakers who are using it as a political tool, mm. to, especially a political tool that promotes hatred and bigotry, yeah. uh, it, it just, it sickens me. And it's part of why I am so emphatically behind you um, as a politician, because you are the politicians we need. You're the person we need making laws, <laughs> you know? You come from <laughs> such a diverse and rich background, and you are the voice <laughs> that we need to be listening to right now. I mean, it's it's just truly how I feel. <laughs> Thank you. What I loved at Oasis when you spoke to the crowd was that you you brought up the fact that like you not only are a queer trans person of color, but you're also a small business owner. Um, in 2016, you became the co-owner of The Stud. Um, so you, like in every way, you are on the inside of the communities you wish to serve. And that, what a novel concept. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) right. I mean, you know, I mean, for me in this campaign, like I keep, you know, 
keep being surprised because people occasionally will say, oh, well, we have, you know, two really great qualified, you know, queer candidates because, you know, um, you know, the other person is, you know, a, a, a gay man. Um, and so I look at that and I'm just like, we're not equally qualified. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, he has worked for 20 years in city government, but he has worked as, um, you know, the communications director for, you know, the city attorney's office. And then most recently was the communications director for the San Francisco Police Department. So he has spent a career, you know, you know, uh, basically, you know, writing press releases. I mean, effectively, um, that's what that was his entire job. Whereas I've spent like my career again, like, working on the streets, like getting folks off the streets and into housing, getting folks into recovery, um, you know, and then again, like as chief of staff to the previous supervisor, Matt Haney, like I've worked for the last four years, literally writing laws and legislation, writing ballot measures, um, working with all of the diverse community groups within our district, um, you know, building more housing in our district than all the other districts combined, um, addressing issues of public safety and homelessness. And then on top of that, I'm a small business owner. So in the district, so I know what it's like to actually try and run a small business, to try and open a small business, um, all the permitting that's required, all the red tape and taxes and fees. And then on top of that, having to deal with our really kind of, you know, really stressful and problematic street conditions in SOMA and having to deal with that on top of operating a business. I mean, we've had, the stud has been broken into several times. Like we've had a lot of issues and, you know, we always respond from a place of compassion and care and wanting to help folks. But it, it is the fact that like, it is a real struggle and has an impact on businesses, um, the crisis on our streets. And so I understand that better than anyone currently on the board of supervisors. And then on top of that, you talk about how I'm, you know, a founder of not just the transgender district, but also was really a part of helping the LGBTQ leather cultural districts get started in SOMA, worked very closely with SOMA Filipinas, which is the Filipino cultural district also in SOMA. Um, and then I'm also chair of the San Francisco Democratic Party. Um, you know, I was elected to the Democratic Party a few years ago and was elected to be chair by my um, uh, colleagues because, you know, they believed in my power and ability to bring people together. And, you know, and I've done that. Um, and we have, um, you know, raised more money in this last year um, than, you know, we have in, in, in previous years. We've really, you know, had a really successful season since I've been chair of the party. And so I bring all this experience, deep experience within the community, within the small business community, um, again, as someone who actually has experience legislating um, and also as chair of the Democratic Party to this role, um, let alone being born and raised in the city. So I just don't think that both things are equal. And on top of all that, yes, I'm a queer Black trans candidate. Um, and I think that that's the type of leadership, especially now with what's going on across the country, with all these attacks on trans people, that we should be uplifting. And not just because I'm trans, but because in addition to all of these things that make me super qualified, I'm also trans. Honey, <laughs> I want to move to your district just to vote for you. I'm so serious. <laughs> I, I just, I am just in awe of you as a human being. I've just always loved you so much. And, you know, we, we see each other sparsely throughout the years, but every time we see each other, it's just such a nice time. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I were to take a pause on political talk and just give you an opportunity right now on this podcast. Is there anything drag race related, anything from our season that you've always wanted to talk about publicly, anything you want to get off your chest, any grievances? Oh my God. Um, are you <laughs> in your busy, busy lifestyle, um, in your busy life and career? Um, do you keep up with Drag Race these days? And 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 what's your relationship to drag these days? 
Yeah, that's such a great question. I mean, you know, I don't have any, I'm sorry if you hear sirens in the background, but I do live don't in the worry. south of Market. And um... Oh my God, const- <laughs> I, I'm constant. There's always some kind of weird noise going on in my background, so don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, um, so I, jeez, uh, drag race. Um, you know, honestly, like <laughs> it's been so long. It's almost been 10 years um, since we've been, since we did our season. And I can't believe like at that time, I remember thinking like, well, I haven't been doing drag that long, but you know, drag race has already been on for four seasons. So I better do it now before they cancel the show. And <laughs> here we are 10 years later and it's way bigger than it ever was. Um, but, you know, it, it was, I felt really lucky to be on that season because it was, I feel like, you know, an all-star season. We had so many great queens that year and it was just an honor to be, you know, get to work with everyone. Now, I do think that there was a lot of shady editing that happened, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, I, I, I actually remember when I was lip syncing for my life, um, that one time when I thought I did actually pretty well in the challenge, despite... <laughs> <laughs> you mean the elimination that was heard around the world? <laughs> yeah, the, the double elimination. I was definitely not thinking I was going to lip sync that night because I wore that dress that I could not move in and then had to dance in it. And it was just like, whatever, I guess I'm going home. But I actually had a moment oh, at that. That's my prep alarm. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone Go from on. AZT to prep. And I think that's a good thing. <laughs> We're now in the, the, the prep alarms phase. Um, uh, so we... Uh, you know, when I was in that moment about lipstick for my life, I remember actually like thinking, like doing a little prayer and being like, okay, well, you know, this is something that I really want, but if there's something better out there for me to be doing with my life in the universe, like I'm going to be okay with going home. And I was, and we were double eliminated. It was the first double elimination in history. And, and you did have a calmness about you. You did seem very collected that day. Everyone else was in tears. And I never knew this story about this little conversation you had with whatever powers were listening. But it's kind of amazing to see what's manifested since then. Well, it's also interesting to me because I, I also, in some ways, like had that same conversation right before Drag Race. And it was right around my Saturn's return. And I was like you know, really kind of pursuing drag like really hard in San Francisco. And I was just like, oh, well, you know, I need, it's becoming too much. I'm doing all this social work and, you know, doing drag. Like I need some help and to show me where I need to go. And, you know, and I like, is, should I be pursuing entertainment? Is that the direction I should be going? Like universe, like what is like, please like give me a sign that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And literally that week I got, a call from America's Got Talent, a call from Drag Race, <laughs> and a call from um, uh, X Factor. And, oh, wow. and then I got like, so I auditioned for all three, and then I got on to Drag Race and went and did that, and then got double eliminated. Immediately became horrifically sick because, you know, we like, as soon as you get off the stress of the show, you're just like, your body like collapses. Yeah, yeah, yeah was there and then like got flown home as soon as I got home and got back to my email opened an email that was like you're on x factor show up by this date which was the next day <laughs> <laughs> I never what, knew any of this <laughs> it was it was so crazy and so I and I contacted them and I was like um you know do you I uh, like I'm, I'm back in town I was out of town I didn't have any reception um, can I still do X Factor? And they said, well, we can't guarantee you it's tomorrow, but you should come. And if we can fit you in, we will. And so I went, like all dressed up in drag, was there at 9 a.m., 12 hours, no eating, no drinking, sick, like, you know, just like waiting. And then they, finally they were like, okay, well, you know, that's it. Like, the, this is our last couple people. We're not going to be able to see you. Like, packed up to go home. And as I was packing up to leave, they were like, no, 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 no. We're going to see, we're going to get, we're going to see, honey. Let's get her mic. Let's get her mic. And like, we're pushing me as they were miking me as I was walking to the judges. And then they put me backstage and they were like, okay, you have a second to like take a breath, warm up, have a bottle of water. They like opened up a bottle of water and handed it to me. And as soon as they handed it to me, I was about to raise it to my mouth. They were like, no, 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 no. She's got to go, go, go. They dragged, they like ripped the water out of my hand and literally pushed me out on stage. And I like went like that. And there was like Simon Cowell, Britney Spears, Demi Lovato, and um, uh, uh, what's his name? L.A. Reed. And it was, yeah, 
crazy. It was like not my best performance, to be honest. I think I was like, besides between being sick, having just gotten double eliminated from Drag Race, like it was just like not did, the ideal situation. This, did this air? This is it, blowing my mind. It, How did I not see this? They showed a blip of it. I mean, it wasn't like a horrible performance. It just wasn't my mm. best. They showed a blip of it. And honestly, they had already had like a singing drag queen in a wedding dress. And I think they had pushed mm. her on. <laughs> and so then they had me and the audience was like, it was, this was like in the Oracle arena. So it was literally like filled with probably like tens of thousands of people and it was just like, you know, I performed and then I realized that it was just not that great. And the audience was sort of mixed. I think they were like some people were cheering, some people were booing. Um, but I, you know, the judges did not pick me to move on. And I just remember that moment because it was like such a big, I had done the double elimination, which to me was like a huge failure. But then there was this elimination immediately afterwards on X Factor in front of tens of thousands of people. Um, and I was just like, wow, like this is probably the lowest moment in my life and I can now do anything because I've survived this. (laughs) So beautiful. What a beautiful perspective. I mean, I would love to think that I would take that same perspective. It would just take work. (laughs) I am admittedly a competitive person, even though, you know, I, I, I always have to look at competition in a very like esoteric artistic way. Like, you know, competition causes us to bring our very, very best. And, and, you know, when the stakes are high, that's when the rewards are high, but also I don't like competition because of how competitive I get. I mean, Mm. we're talking about like Mario Kart at home. I get competitive. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I mean, I've, I've done what work I can to adopt a more Zen mindset in the, in the spirit of competition. But, um, you know, I also haven't been tested cause I keep winning everything. <laughs> well, I mean, that is a testament to your talent and ability and also your competitive nature. Oh, uh. <laughs> I'm teasing, of course. I'm riddled no, with anxiety. But, but it's true. Times, but. <laughs> but like you, but you have won, and you've been so. I don't know. I mean, it's w- well deserved. I mean, seriously, well, you've been. It's been a such a joy for me getting to watch you succeed in so many ways. And you know, you're just. Uh, and I don't want to sound like I'm just blowing air up your asses <laughs> because I'm on your podcast. But like, I literally like was watching you in Death Becomes Her, and I was just like, wow, Jinx is just so incredibly talented. I mean, you're such a talented voice actor, like the way that you're able to like embody like these characters um, with your voice. Like even if I was just listening to you, I knew I would know exactly who you were. You know what I mean? Like who you were playing. Well, thank you so much, honey. You're so kind. And let's get you a win. Uh, (laughs) Let's get you this win. Let's pay it forward. So um, I know that you can only vote for you um, if, you live in your district, yes? That's right, in Soma or so, Treasure Island. So anyone listening in Soma or Treasure Island, this is your call to arms. Um, let's get honey elected. Um, but you don't have to live in your district to donate, Nespa, because I donated That's more right. than I was legally allowed to. Um, so uh, where can people make donations to the cause from wherever they are. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to say it again because I don't want the campaign finance people to be coming for me, but we did return <laughs> the extra money. <laughs> I have the receipts. The money has been returned. I was confused. <laughs> I was confused. I just want to help my friend. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, but um, anyone, anyone who is a resident of the United States um, is allowed to donate to the campaign. And, you know, you can donate whatever you can donate. You can donate as little as $5. But honestly, um, for those who can donate the maximum, it's 500, which I know is a lot for some, but for some people it's not. So if you can do that, great. I mean, it'll go a long way to really helping us reach the voters. And it's an unfortunate thing that like my biggest job right now is fundraising um, because money really does make a difference in these campaigns, especially in a district like South, the South of Market, where we have a lot of big buildings and can't necessarily door knock all the, all the time. Um, the way that we reach those folks is through mailers and ads, and that takes a lot of money. So um, yeah, anything helps, but the more you can give, the better chance I have of winning. <laughs> 
Wonderful. Um, I hope my listeners, I hope, I, I well, I hope they, um, I'm going to go look on YouTube for the clip of you on X Factor because I want to see that. <laughs> it's amazing to me that I didn't, I didn't know until now. That's just such an incredible story. Um, I mean, not ideal, of course. <laughs> like, that sounds horrible, <laughs> but it's an incredible story to have under your belt. I have here in my notes that you love gardening. Oh my gosh. Where did <laughs> you, you get have that? a garden? Oh, who cares? <laughs> do you have a you have a garden in I San Francisco? Do. Well, I mean, I have a patio garden. I don't have I live in like a, you know, a three-story building and I'm up on the top floor. So it's I don't have any earth, but um, except for what is in pots. So um, I have a little container garden, um, both um, out on my patio. And then also I'm, you know, a millennial and have tons of house plants. It's definitely something that I think is grounding for me. I mean, I am an earth sign. I'm a Capricorn. So, you know, I, I feel like I need a little bit of that connection to the earth. And I like nurturing things and seeing them grow. Although I will say that I feel a little bit like my plants have become a little neglected since running for office. They haven't become, <laughs> they've moved from being my like number one priority to being like my number five priorities, unfortunately. Well, I live with a plant person. My best friend, Kenny, who you know, yes. has filled our house with plants. I'm terrible with plants. Uh, I'm, I'm just a scatterbrained person in general. So I'm, I, I, I've never been entrusted with the plants. But I got to say, one of the best life hacks is live with a plant person because you'll <laughs> get all the benefits of living in a, I mean, it really does change everything. And I think it's one of the, one of the reasons why I, I mean, besides being home, but I love being home because I'm around all the plants and my cats, of course, whereas hotel rooms are, you know, barren cubicles of beige and gray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you were also written up in Vogue, and it's such a lovely photo of you lounging in a garden in a lovely um, sparkly dress. What was it like being written up in Vogue? <laughs> that was actually really fun. Um, I really had a great time. Well, the photographer was brilliant. I mean, she was absolutely incredible. Um, and she was a young, like very young, like black woman um, in her early 20s, I want to say. And um, so that was really, really fun. Um, I was, so when they told me that I was going to be um, in Vogue, I was really, really excited. And then I was sort of expecting it to be like in the studio with like, you know, like lots and lots of garment options and things like that. And they were like, mm, can you just like throw something together? And I'm like, ah, what? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, regardless, regardless, I, um, I definitely really, really had a great time with the photographer and, you know, we're drag queens. We always have something we can pull out. Um, yeah. But it was, it was, it, I felt like it was like a testament to like a lot, you know, a lot of the work that I've been doing, you know, with founding and leading the trans district for many years and, you know, the work with the stud and, you know, just cultural work in San Francisco on top of what I had, you know, done as a drag queen or on drag race. Um, that I just felt like a really nice acknowledgement, I think. Yeah. You know what? I think one of the things that just makes me so happy about seeing everything you've done since season five is you know, there's with the fan base and with, you know, just the nature of TV and everything. It's kind of like if it doesn't get posted about, if it doesn't get talked about on television, you know, then um, so much of the fan base, it's like it never happened. Mm -hmm. And here you are, you know, you did season five and then you went back to life and you you carved out a new path for yourself and you've just been going full steam and so like so many accomplishments under your belt. And I just want a place for the fan base to know about all of that too. That's why I was so adamant about getting you on the podcast as quickly as possible, not only to help with your campaign, but I want my listeners to know that like, you know, uh, lives change, paths change, 
But just because it's not what's getting posted about on social media doesn't mean that you're not out there doing amazing work and just really being such a, an incredible inspiration to me and other people in the community. And, um, you know, and forever, you know, when you're president someday, you'll be able to look back and say, and I did Drag Race and The X Factor within days of each other. <laughs> like, you're going to be our first, like, president who went on Drag Race. That's going to be amazing. And I oh can't wait God. to see that. I mean, I don't even know if you want to run for president president someday. I, I, I know, hands down, don't give me that job. Oh my God, right? Oh God, especially with everything that's been happening. Um, you know, I mean, Biden's doing as, as best he can, I think, um, given the situation that we're in, but it is. Well, he inherited a dumpster fire, so it, it's. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, I think, I think for me, it's really that you just never know where life is going to take you. And I think, you know, just being open and then also being willing to sort of like put the work in, I, you know, it, it's, it's nothing comes easy. I think, you know, we don't talk enough about the fact that, um, you know, this is not a Kim Kardashian, like nobody wants to work anymore thing. <laughs> like we all work, we all do mm -hmm. work. But I think that there's also like, I don't know, a perception that like, you know, fame just happens or, you know, like things just happen, but it's not true. Like there's so much work that goes into like the things that we do, whether it be drag or politics and you see the successes, but you don't always see the years of preparation, the years of organizing, the years of, you know, getting your hands dirty that it takes to get to a place where you can do that work and, and do it successfully. It's the same in drag. I mean, you know, yeah. people spend years refining their craft and learning their skills and growing as artists and producing shows that all takes rehearsal and work and costumes and design. I mean, it's just, it, it is achievable. Um, and I think that the message is really that you should pursue your dreams um, and then also yeah. see where life takes you because sometimes those dreams change and sometimes they provide you with a platform that you can use to launch off and do something completely opposite, um, which I yeah. feel like is what has happened with me. Well, I think, um, you know, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think what people need to realize is there is a certain amount of sacrifice in following your dreams. You know, like this is my, I'm living my fantasy life right now. Like I'm living the life that I always worked for and always dreamed about, but there's been sacrifice. There's sacrifice of your free time. There's sacrifice of, you know, um, <laughs> you, sleep. You, you sleep. I mean, everyone knows the sacrifices that go into, you know, being an entertainer or whatever, but it, it, I think there is this misconception when we are glorifying people who are essentially famous for just being alive. Is <laughs> you know? mm. it gives this impression that you can have absolutely everything and sacrifice nothing, and that's this kind of like in. Uh, impossible goal that people sometimes get in their mind. And I think that mentality is a huge detriment uh, because Americans don't like to have to sacrifice a goddamn thing. We we saw that during the pandemic. You know, we ask them to wear a mask and suddenly they're sa sacrificing facial freedom and they can't abide by it, you know? Um, so like to get through the pandemic, we had to sacrifice some of the things we wanted to do to protect others. And I think yeah. that mentality gets conflated, you know, like when people are asking for equal rights, when people are asking for fair treatment, when people are asking for the dismantling of sy systemic oppression towards minorities, the, the, the straight white cis <laughs> conservative people of the world are being convinced that they're gonna have to sacrifice something. And there's a difference between sacrifice and sharing. Mm, <laughs> and yeah. you know, like sharing does not mean you are suddenly gonna go without. It just means that more people are going to benefit as well. You know, more people are going to get the same privileges. Like we're talking about sharing, not sacrificing. You know, if anything, we're asking you to sacrifice um just being fucking uh 
the only one getting anything. You think he can handle that sacrifice? <laughs> right, right. Um, I don't know. I kind of went off there, but like, I, I, I think, you know, people think, uh, I, I think there's an American mindset that you can have your cake and eat it too. And uh, I don't, I haven't unpacked all of that. I don't know if that's like, if there is a way. I guess if you're someone like me, I'm having my cake and eating it too by getting to live my life and then seeing ways that it can help other people um, uh, find their own dreams and their own inspiration. Right. Well, I mean, I think the, 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 I think the real like pearl of what you were saying is that there are, there is a lot of, I mean, I think it's true that there is a lot of sacrifice in, in, in achieving success. Um, and that, you know, I, I don't know that everyone knows like how many countless hours of rehearsal you have to do, like what, kind of stresses on your body like you know like lady gaga is very open about like her sort of body pain that she experiences because she's constantly dancing in rehearsal the stress mm-hmm. the anxiety like all these things that you have to deal with when you're performing on stage in front of thousands of people all the time like that takes a toll on you physically and mentally and even just doing the, the meet and greets and meeting so many people and being exposed you know like there's just there's so much that goes into it that is a little as a performer um, that people I think don't think about or take for granted um, because they're, Mm -hmm. they get to enjoy it and have fun and that's wonderful and they should. Um, But I think that for people who, you know, want to step into that place, they also don't necessarily always see all of that immediately because that's not what you see on, as you said, on Instagram or on the TV show. Um, And similarly, that's, it's same with politics. You know, I think um, it's interesting because I definitely came from an advocacy background as an activist, but you know, when you're in the position of a politician, oftentimes your biggest role is to like actually make things happen. I mean, yes, Mm -hmm. you're an advocate, but you also have to like pass legislation and make a difference in like your goal is to make a difference in the community and bring hopefully bring resolution and be a convener and bring people together. Um, And sometimes when you're in that role, people demonize you because you're not completely taking their side because you're not pushing hard enough one direction or the other. And you're, you know, because you are trying to bring people together. And that involves, as you said before, a little, everyone has to give a little bit and people don't like to give up anything. Um, And so it is really, really hard work. It's not easy. It's, it's in some ways I, I long for the days of being an activist where I could just push for, you know, the, what my community wanted and what like, you know, what we believe is right. And, um, and just concentrate on that instead of having to like, say like, okay, yes, we agree with this. And also there's this opposing point of view. And I'm not talking about people being like, you know, let's get rid of abortion, but I'm talking about like people, people who, you know, may have a slightly different approach to an issue. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and bringing them, bringing them along and trying to find a happy median. Sometimes, you know, you don't end up people's favorite person in the world. But, you know, that's that's kind of part of the job is that you you sacrifice some of that likability and, you know, you have to figure out how can we best bring people together? Because I'll tell you, San Francisco is a really wonderful, gorgeous place, um, full of magic still to this day. But the politics in San Francisco can be so toxic. Um, I think yeah. because it is such a powerful city politically, um, you know, we have... You know, in San Francisco, um, because we're a city and county in one, it sort of like consolidates all of that power in one very small place. It's one of the richest cities in the entire world. I mean, our, you know, our budget is larger than some countries. And um, we have people from our city like Speaker Nancy Pelosi, you know, the Speaker of the House. The Vice President of the United States is also from San Francisco, right? Our governor in the state of California is from San Francisco, our Attorney General, like our controller, like basically like all the big people in California government or many of them are from San Francisco and also from the federal level. So we hold a lot of power. And I think because of that, because it is a vehicle and connection to so much power, um, people become very competitive. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that, and that can lead. And because we are so progressive here in the city, um, the points of differentiation are oftentimes razor thin. Um, And so we squabble over the tiniest little differences in policy. And that 
Um, and that leads to stagnation and nothing getting done. And unfortunately, we have politicians that are much more interested in exploiting differences and turning people in communities against each other. We're really seeing that here in San Francisco, the way that, you know, I will say specifically Black and Chinese communities have been really sort of turned against each other in San Francisco when it comes to public safety issues. And I don't think that, number one, I don't think that that's good. That's not, it's a really bad thing. Um, it's yeah. a really dangerous thing that, that some politicians are playing with. Um, and also like we, what we need from our politicians is not people that will exploit differences and, and, and shift blame to other people. But what we need in our politicians is people willing to take accountability and also doing the work of bringing people together. And yeah. yes, that is harder to do. It is much easier to say, oh, it's their fault or it's that person's fault. And that's why things are as bad as they are. But if we ever actually want to see progress, what we need is someone who's going to, or many people who are going to do the work of bringing people together. Because, you know, we as, you know, especially as minority communities know that oftentimes we get pitted against each other in order to distract from the real issue, um, which is that we have far too much wealth inequality in this country. We have, um, you know, political, like people in office who are not interested in helping, but just interested in, you know, gaining more power or moving on to the next office or whatever it is. And we have to change that if we're ever going to make any progress. Here, here, honey, again, I'm going to move to Soma. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not election tampering. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm just expressing support to my friend. Um, listen, I just, I, I'm so absolutely in awe. You're just so wonderful. And one thing I've thought multiple times through this conversation is one of my favorite quotes by Anonymous, big fan of their work. Um, <laughs> A candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. And that mm. has been a quote that um, has inspired me since high school. I think I saw it in my little high school day planner thing. A candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. And I can't think of anyone who who exemplifies that mindset better than you. Like you, you are just giving of yourself constantly. And I just am wishing you the very, very best. I want you to win. I want my listeners to donate. If you are in Soma or Treasure Island in the Bay Area, consider voting for Honey Mahogany. Um, one more time. <laughs> I want to make sure I get it right. You, you're running for city council, yes, right? No, supervisor. So, okay. so yeah, in San Francisco, we don't have a city council because it's a city okay. and county in one. So the, uh -huh. the city council is, is combined with the county position of supervisor. And so it's for the San, San Francisco Board of Supervisors, District 6. Wonderful. You have to understand that until Trump was running for president, I was really just out of the loop of politics. I had to like, when he began his election, I was like, I got to get, I got to start understanding politics because I got to do something about this. Um, so I'm still very, you know, like naive when it comes to how politics really works. Most of my understanding of politics is from Veep or Parks and Recreation. So. No, that's totally valid. It's totally valid. It's totally Totally, like San Francisco is its own unique beast, so it's it's not 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 an issue at all. Well, um, well I will just say because I didn't say this earlier that if folks want to mm -hmm. find out more information about my campaign or if they have been moved to donate, they can do so at honeymahogany.com. That is the website. Wonderful. I have my compulsory questions that I ask every guest. Um, you can answer them however you want. They don't have to be about politics. <laughs> you also can say no comment, you know, that's a very classy move. Um, anyway, <laughs> first question, who is your celebrity crush today? Who is my celebrity crush Today, um, that's a really good question. Who's you know the person that pops to mind is Trevor Noah, just because I think he's so clever. Oh, he's clever and cute, and yeah. seems just like so charming and lovable. That smile. <laughs> My next question for you is: Are you spiritual? I am spiritual. Yes. I heard you mention your Saturn returns. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I was 
I was raised Catholic, but I don't, I don't like, you know, I, I guess I go to church occasionally. I just, I feel like I'm much more open to just, I'm, I consider myself spiritual more than anything. Like I pray yeah. sometimes, but it's really like not to a specific entity. It's just more of being open and wanting to sort of find clarity and peace. I, I couldn't, I, I, I relate so, so well to that. Um, <laughs> my final song, uh, my final song, my final question, for, my final song for the evening. Um, my final question <laughs> for you is what is your go-to karaoke song? Oh my God. Probably Rehab by Amy Winehouse. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> even though, even though I think it's probably not the most PC song to sing, um, you know, I just I miss Amy Winehouse. She was such a music talent. doesn't music is about reality, not always like it's not always a, an easy pill to swallow. Music, you know, <laughs> right, right. I mean, that was coming from a you know, I mean, yeah, it was part of her experience, and you know, tragically, yeah. we lost her to to drugs. Um, yeah. Rest in peace, Amy. Is there anything else you'd like to tell my listeners or would you like to tell? We know honeymahogany.com. You are also on Instagram. You post about your campaign on Instagram. Are you at honeymahogany there? Mm-hmm. At honeymahogany oh. pretty much everywhere. <laughs> Wonderful. Let's get Honey Mahogany elected to city supervisor District 6 for the Council of Supervisors. <laughs> the Board of Supervisors. <laughs> the, 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 uh, uh, let's get her elected, okay? Yeah. Honey, <laughs> honey, thank you so much for joining us today. And I just am wishing you all the best. And go kick ass. And I can't wait to vote for you to be our first drag queen president. <laughs> thank you, Jinx. No, I really appreciate you having me here. It's always such a blessing to be in your presence. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day. You too. I'm going to go get arrested at the airport. Bring <laughs> <laughs> <For> protest. <laughs> Fun. Good luck. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more Hi Jinx. To listen to Hi Jinx one day early and ad free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts, executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio. <laughs>